Hey there, world. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and as always, I'm excited to have you with us. So as we continue our journey together towards achieving wealth, again, in its original meaning, which would be a state of well-being, we must recognize it's not all about finance and money and a lot of the things I like to talk about on the show. So today we're going to be having a special guest join us that'll touch on some of the other elements that really achieve wealth. And that is none other than Gabrielle Beauchet. So for those of you who are not familiar with Gabrielle, let me give you a quick bio. She's the co-founder of The Purpose Company. She's also a best-selling author and a renowned TEDx speaker. She's considered by many to be America's top millennial expert. She's worked with Fortune 500 companies, the U.S. military, and countless other organizations to counsel them on this unique generation. Her work has appeared everywhere from NPR, Bloomberg, Fast Company, Glamour Magazine, Business Insider, and many more publications. So I'm excited to begin our conversation in these crazy tumultuous times with how can we find what our ultimate purpose is and how can we achieve wealth in its original meaning. So without further ado, please help me welcome Gabrielle Beauchet. The Kadona Podcast. Gabrielle, thanks for joining the show. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, definitely. So what have you been uh, up to these days with all this quarantine and pandemic and kind of a unique time? It, it certainly is. I think going into this, uh, my husband, Brian, um, and I were really intentional that we had a decision to make. We could either see this season as a gift or we could see it as a crisis. And so we were really intentional recognizing that this was a really unique situation and that things are slowed down. We travel quite a bit. I'm on a plane at least once a week, traveling, speaking, working with clients. And so with all that removed, we had an opportunity to go deeper, to work on some projects that were kind of sitting on the back burner and um, really kind of uh, reinvest ourselves back into our two companies. And so we've seen some really incredible results. We've um, grown exponentially, grown about 65% during the season. And it's been truly a gift, I think, just because of our, of our mindset from the start. That's awesome. Yeah, positive mindset can take you pretty far. And so both you and your husband work together. I assume you're, you're partners in these companies? Yes, yeah. So I started my first company in my early 20s, The Millennial Solution, working with major brands and organizations on bridging the generation gap. And I had started that before we had gotten married. We got married. He was starting a company uh, the weekend that we got back from our honeymoon. So that was uh, an interesting experience moving in together and he's doing sales calls in the U-Haul. Um, oh like, no, gosh. it's just really windy outside. Uh, so <laughs> he, um, he and I are kind of the consummate entrepreneurs. And so uh, he had been leading a company for a few years and we decided to, um, to join forces with the Millennial Solution, did that for a few years and then launched earlier this year, The Purpose Company. Awesome. Good for you guys. And just to set the stage a little bit, if you don't mind, could we maybe go back to, I guess, where you, where you started, you know, where you went to school, what you were trying to do and, and how you got kind of into this uh, entrepreneurial role so quickly? Well, I definitely wasn't trying to be an entrepreneur. In fact, I quite effectively did the exact opposite of being an entrepreneur, which was become a government employee. So my parents or are 
um, lifelong entrepreneurs. My dad's never had a boss. He started his first company. It was a record shop, I think, when he was 19. And, and he and my mom were business partners and just did incredible work together. Their parents were entrepreneurs, and the list goes on and on. But I'd seen what that was like. I knew that there was a lot of sacrifice, a lot of, <laughs> a lot that went into starting your own company. And so because of that, I said, you know, my mini rebellion, so to speak, was to become a government employee. So I did that. I worked in the California state legislature as an education consultant, incredible opportunity, loved what I did. Um, but kind of had that call that a lot of entrepreneurs have is it's that kind of secret whisper that's like you're made for something more. So yet again, I kind of ignored the whisper and jumped into the nonprofit space thinking, okay, maybe government isn't how I change the world. It's definitely got to be, you know, being in a nonprofit space and maybe running a nonprofit one day and uh, got into the nonprofit space. I was hired as a, uh, as a fundraiser, the fancy word is development director uh, for a nonprofit raised zero dollars and zero cents over my two years of working there. It turns out (laughs) um, I was not very good at my job. And um, mostly because when they hired me for the position, they said, well, do you want to be the director of development? Wow, that sounds extremely important because I just finished grad school and was very poor. And and I said, yes, absolutely. But you're not going to make me ask for money, are you? And uh, clearly I didn't read the job description. So I was unsuccessful in that, but what I really good at in each of these seasons was in learning in and capturing wisdom from people that I was working with. And so I would actually document what great bosses were doing, what they could have done better, what I was learning, who I was connected to. And so I've been this um, this kind of researcher from a very long um, uh, a long standpoint in my own personal and professional career. But I was always interested in, and this is what I, when we help people find their purpose, we were always looking at what's that common thread throughout your life. And for me, the role I tended to play was the connector and the reconciler. I was the one who said, hey, you know, why don't we all, why can't we all get together? Why can't we all get along? And, uh, and I got extremely passionate about generations. I wrote my first book about millennials when I was 17. I've written four since and uh, have really, um, been able to create a platform to be able to help organizations, leaders, and and the U.S. military to help them understand um, what tends to divide us is really something that's incredibly powerful when you start to tap into um, how each generation leads and wants to be led. Yeah. So if I could interrupt you real quick, what was the impetus for all this? It sounds like you, you were, you know, going through school, then grad school, and in the government world, which I agree is totally opposite of the entrepreneurial route, then we go into nonprofit. And what was it that, that, that made you say, you know, I want to start, I guess your, your full-time job was to begin studying the millennial generation, if I understand. Sure. So what I, that moment really happened for me. I was at a conference in Hawaii. Um, one of the perks of being a development director is that they send you to all these great events. <laughs> and okay. so I was at this. Um, I was at this event in Hawaii and it was one of those moments where I was kind of in um, a bit of a quarter life crisis trying to figure out as in my early twenties, I had this plan. Like I knew what I was going to do. I had achieved my dream job, what I wanted to do by the time I was 23. And I had this moment where I woke up and I said, is this it? 
And so I had to go back and really question, you know, what my purpose was. And so I had one of these moments. I was at this conference in Hawaii. I was sitting in the back of the room. I was the youngest person there. And the person speaking on stage was talking about millennials. They were talking about my generation. And it was totally off. It was how entitled we were and how difficult we were to be around. It was mocking our generation. And there was this exchange that I had with this speaker uh, afterwards where we started chatting and he said, you know, you could do this. And it was really incredible to hear from someone who had been studying generation for a very long time. I'd only been studying generation at that point for about six years. He'd done it for decades to recognize that someone was doing, being able to visualize the kind of influence that I wanted really helped propel me from sitting in the back of the room with my arms folded saying I could do this better to recognizing that the only difference between me sitting in the audience and me standing on stage was me taking action. And so it was so in finding my that, that seed of discontent of, you know, there's something else out there for me at just 23 years old. Yeah. And I, and a big part of it, there are a couple of different reasons why people start businesses. There are people who start businesses for the lifestyle. There are people who start businesses for the money. There are people who start businesses for the prestige to say, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and I can be my own boss. But yep. then there are a smaller group of people who, who start businesses because what's currently being offered in the marketplace is not just, and it's not, uh, it's not excellent. And so that's really what compelled me. It wasn't being my own boss. It wasn't, you know, being able to work from Costa Rica or whatever kind of people dangle. It was the fact that what was currently being offered wasn't correct. And I knew that I could do it better. Gotcha. So mis people were misunderstanding, you know, what makes millennials tick, kind of who we are, things like that. Absolutely. And so that's really, yeah. I remember at that conference, I left, I met this um, individual who's since become a very good friend of mine, but he asked me a question. He said, at this networking event, he said, um, what one word makes you smile? And I thought it was a very strange question. And I said, without thinking, I said, generations. And so from that point, he then said, you know, what are you going to do about it? And so I kind of threw down a challenge for myself. I was going to write a book. And so that was my second book I wrote when I was 23 and self-published my book and, you know, got in front of the Navy and in Microsoft and a lot of these really incredible companies because I recognized that I couldn't just kind of sit on the sidelines that if I was going to want, if I was going to actually move and become an expert, not just an entrepreneur where I could pay myself, but an expert, someone who's seen as an influencer in my space, it was going to take a plan of action. Okay. And for some of our listeners that maybe haven't read those first two books, because you just kind of clue us into what they were about or what some of your findings were? Sure. So really, I mean, my first book, when I wrote when I was 17, I had, you know, zero idea or experience in how to write a book. Um, it was like, I think I'm going to write a book. And so I did, and it was an incredible um, uh, experience. And I, and I, and I got a publisher for it and everything. My second book was much more focused on how do I help leaders and managers understand the next generation. So that's called five millennial myths. And it actually came from a blog post, a blog post for the nonprofit that I was working for. They said, you know, Hey, can you write something for us? And I said, sure. And I wrote a blog about the five myths that managers have about millennials or believe about millennials. And within 24 hours, it became the most trafficked blog on their site. So I started to That's recognize awesome. that the market was ready for solutions when it came to how to reach and engage the next generation. 
Gotcha. Okay. And so now has more of your work like with the purpose company, has that expanded to everybody or is everything you're doing still just focused on the millennial uh, generation? Great question. So there's been a really interesting metamorphosis, which is really what takes place in the, the life of every entrepreneur is that you have to start niche. If you start too broad saying, I help everybody with everything, I call it the Miss America answer. You're never going to meet your audience. And you're never going to deliver your, your solution to them because they don't know who you are and you don't know who they are. So right. I started off incredibly niched and that was strategic because I, I knew that I wanted to help beyond just managers and parents and leaders understanding millennials. I wanted to help my generation discover who they were and get clarity about why they're here and you know what they're supposed to do about it. So it's been it's been a journey. So once we kind of established our expertise in the generational space, specifically in millennials, we then expanded and started to work with a lot of these major brands from Expedia to the US Air Force um, to really help them understand how to create a, a culture within their organization that keeps everybody. So we then wrote, my husband and I, Brian, wrote, wrote the book, Keep Them Longer, How to Gain, Train, and Retain Top Talent. And that came out last year and has done incredibly well and really focused on, on a corporate side, how do you retain mm -hmm. people? But it's so interesting because as we started working with these companies on retention, which is not the sexiest of topics. I mean, I'll be honest, I got into this and I was like, how did I end up talking to <laughs> corporate executives about how to not fire people yeah. and onboarding programs and things like that? Um, but the common thread was that these employees wanted to find significance at work because all of us want to find significance in, in our work. We all want to know that, sure. we, that we personally matter and what we do matters. And so it launched this journey of us to develop a system to be able to help people discover their individual purpose and then connect it to what they do every day. And so that's really what launched this next book that's coming out in September called The Purpose Factor, Extreme Clarity for Why You're Here and What to Do About It, and has really been kind of the, the gasoline behind the new company that we've launched called The Purpose Company, which helps individuals discover their exact purpose, use it to find incredible fulfillment, stop kind of feeling in that stuck cycle of what should I do next, and really propel themselves into living a life of complete fulfillment. Gotcha. And what are, if you don't mind sharing like a couple of the, the details there, because I know it, what I've found in both with the listeners and, and going out to different conferences and you name it, oftentimes the, I don't want to say complaint, but some of the struggles people have is you pick up one of these books because you're ready to change your life, to improve your life. And oftentimes there's a lot of fluff in there that could be, you know, work hard, keep smiling, stay positive. <laughs> a lot of that that sort of thing. So what are some of the things maybe that make your your book and your company different than a lot of that fluff out there? I could not agree more. It's so true. And that's It's frustrating um, sometimes. <laughs> no, it's it's maddening. It really yeah. is. And I think that it's actually um it's very frustrating for someone who has picked up those books looking for that clarity saying like okay, you're giving me this big promise that you're going to help me figure out my life, but you're either just upselling me into one of your programs or you're, um, you know, not actually giving me anything specific, specific that I can apply to my life. So with that in mind, as kind of a self-development junkie, I started listening to Earl Nightingale and Tony Robbins when I was 12. So I've been in this space for a long time. 
recognizing that there had to be a system. There's a system for everything. There's a system for how you um, pay your taxes, how you buy a house, you know, how you get married. Everything has a system. And so it didn't make sense to us that there wasn't a system to find your purpose. So we spent about seven years, Brian and I, discovering and researching a process. And we looked at everything from ancient philosophy to popular religions. And we really started to tick down what they all had in common when it came to the elements of your purpose. And so what we found was that there's four different elements of your purpose. And then there's a three-part system of how you apply it. And once you find your purpose, the application is just as important, if not more important. Because if I were to sit down with you and say, okay, Brian, we're going to lead, you know, walk you through this whole system. Here's how you find your purpose. You know, go out there and, you know, have a great day. Without helping someone understand how it applies to what they do for a living right now, what their dreams are, how to make decisions, like should I start a podcast or write a book or start a company or move to Guatemala or whatever, if you don't help people put tire tracks um, on the application of purpose, people are just start, you know, feeling really good about themselves and then not actually applying it. So we are extremely, extremely intentional about making sure that people understood once you find your purpose, you have to start with who. You have to start with who you are first, but then you have to start with who you're supposed to help. The entire economy is about who. Everything is created by and for people. And so you have to focus specifically on the uh, primary group of people that you want to help. Then you have to help them determine. So the first step is people. The second step is problem. So what's the problem that they have that you can uniquely solve for them? Not that you would like to solve. Do you have the skills to solve it? And then what's the solution? What are you um, able to create as a solution that your people are ready, willing, and able to receive? And so giving people that process of putting their purpose to work has been what I think is really the differentiating factor for why the system works while some of the other ones don't. Gotcha. And so in line with that, I know something you talk a lot about is the difference between purpose and passion, which I think most people would see as kind of interchangeable in a way. Can you define the the difference between the two and, and why that's important? Absolutely. It's, it's one of those things where I think people use the words interchangeably because of pop culture, that it sounds good. It's really good advice to say, you know, follow your purpose or, you know, or you follow your passion or you know, don't do anything unless you're passionate about it. But if you actually look at the dictionary definition of the word passion, the dictionary definition is a barely controllable emotion. What a what a terrible piece of advice to give someone. Like, don't do anything unless you have a barely controllable emotion. Like, that sounds like you need help. So what we've done is really helping people differentiate between a passion, which people use the word passion to talk about their love for another person, their favorite hobby, their favorite snack. I mean, it's so all over the place that just because you love coffee doesn't mean you should start a coffee shop or you love fishing doesn't mean that that's, you know, what should occupy all of your time. Purpose is the reason for which something exists. And I think that you and I can absolutely agree that the reason that because you really love coffee or you really like fishing. And so it's really getting to the foundation of who you are, what makes you unique 
And we define purpose as what you have inside of you to help other people, plain and simple. It's what you have inside of you to help other people. So once you get that differentiating between, you know, passion, which is a barely controllable emotion and purpose, which is what you have inside of you to help other people, what you do with it and what you prioritize becomes a very, very um, clear understanding. Got it. Got it. So you're saying that ultimately that gratification, that fulfillment will come through helping others, which, you know, I think is a, is a great message. I think most people would uh, agree with that. I think the how is where people struggle, you know, how do they fit that into their lives? Um, and so do you find that the people, their, their quote unquote purpose will change throughout the course of their life or what's your take on that? Yeah, it's, um, it's one of those things that I think people um, assume that their purpose changes maybe after they have kids or when they get married or when they switch jobs. But the truth is that your purpose doesn't change. The application of your purpose changes. So purpose is vocation agnostic. It doesn't matter if you're employed or unemployed, if you are retired or you're just starting your career out, if you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a high-powered executive. It, it really doesn't matter. And so we really diminish the power of our purpose when we put it on the back burner and say, it's not for right now. But when you understand purpose is what you have inside of you to help other people, there are people, again, start with people, there are people that you can help all around you, whether it's your neighbors or during this COVID time, what does your virtual community look like? Is it your customers, your clients, your family? It always starts with who first. And sometimes people tell me like, oh, I just don't feel fulfilled or, you know, I'm not really happy. And I oftentimes tell them the reason you're not happy is because you haven't helped anyone today. As a, as, a, as, a, as a race, humans are designed to help other people. We're designed to get that endorphin high when we you know, help others or go out of our way or give advice or encourage other people. We enjoy doing that. But oftentimes we don't give ourselves permission to do that. And so realizing that that purpose is your permission to be able to help others with what you have uniquely that's really the recipe for how do you find that fulfillment and experience that fulfillment on a daily basis. Got it. And I think that's something that, that most people would struggle with is they say, you know, I do want to help. I want to be a part of, you know, bettering the future, but then they get caught up in the rat race. They get caught up, you know, trying to get the kids to school and to practice and to work and to, you know, clean the house and a thousand other things that they've got to juggle. Um, So what, um, I guess, what would be a starting point for, for someone who says, you know, I just feel like I'm swamped. Uh, you know, I do, I want to find out what that purpose is, but how do I do it? You know, if, if I'm just, I can't find a free moment in the day, where would you go? What would be the, the, the starting point for that? Yep. Yeah. The, so I, like I mentioned, there are four elements of purpose. I'll start with the first element. Um, and that's a great place to start. So the first element of your purpose is your natural advantage. It's not your natural talent, it's your natural advantage. So your natural talent is how tall you are, how athletic you are. Are you a good singer? Are you not a good singer? So those are things that you're kind of genetically born with. Your natural advantage is the role that you tend to play. And why so many people get so caught up on their natural talent is that, you know, they think, well, I'm, you know, naturally athletic and then I don't get the scholarship or I don't go pro. Now what do I do? Or, you know, I'm naturally artistic and then I go to school and then, you know, no one's hiring me to be an artist. And so they hang their definition of purpose 
on a platform or on a job instead of recognizing that that purpose is vocation agnostic. Why we start with natural advantage is it's the role you tend to play. So I oftentimes ask people, what kind of kid were you? Were you the kind of kid that was organizing other people, getting folks together to you know, play a game or you know, go to an event or design things? You were the starter. Were you the kind of kid who was asking why all the time? Why is it this way? Why isn't it that way? Did you enjoy challenging the status quo and didn't mind getting in trouble? Were you the kind of kid that enjoyed organizing things or taking care of other people, making sure people or things are taken care of and you know, organized and clean? Or are you the, the kind of kid that was always the, the recruiter, constantly asking other people to get involved, to you know, try your idea or get people excited about things that you're excited about? So there are five different types of um, five different types of natural advantages that in the book we walk people through. And there's a whole journal that we've designed to go along with the book because we recognize the discovery of purpose is something that it takes buy-in. You have to want to go through the process. You have to be ready to, and willing to say, I'm ready to find my purpose. And, uh, and so because of that, we've really done the hard work of creating the resources and materials for folks who pick up the book to recognize that your purpose, number one, is discoverable, and number two, that your purpose is usable. And when you understand exactly what your purpose means to you and exactly how you can use it to help other people, something unlocks in you where you start to recognize that for many of us, our purpose was there all along. We just never knew what it was. Gotcha. And so with a lot of this talk on purpose, kind of finding out what that is, how to achieve it, how to go after it, who, who are you marketing yourselves to? Like with, with the books and now with your company is, I know that millennials are the subject, but is that who you want to try and communicate this to? Because I think a lot of people would say, you know, millennials are just getting started in life. Like they're, you got to give it a second before you kind of find that purpose. Sure. Well, most of the, the folks who, um, who have been um, included in the book, we have some incredible stories of people who we've helped. We have these live events that we do um, okay. that we help people find their purpose. Um, and the Purpose Company has an incredible program called Purpose Mastery that's actually a virtual experience to discover your purpose. And we have folks as young as 18 and as old as 62 who are going wow. through this program. So you're right. Purpose is also too age agnostic. So when you open up the book, the inside flap literally says, you are not too old, you are not too young, you're not too rich, you're not too poor, you're not too far gone to discover your purpose. And, and I think a lot of times people either put off purpose to say, I don't have time right now, I'm, I'm in school, or I don't have time right now, I'm just getting off the ground in my career, or I'm just starting my company, or I'm just getting married, or I'm just having kids, or I have to wait for my kids to graduate. Or I have to yeah, wait, wait till I retire. Moment. Yep. And, and so one of the things I'm kind of curious about, because you wake up and in 20 years, nothing's changed. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. You get on that kind of treadmill of life. And so one of the things I wanted to ask, I mean, you've had a, a great reception to your books and also obviously a lot of speaking engagements that have been relatively high profile. How did that all come about? You know, at such a young age, how do you get in front of these audiences um, for someone else starting out, whether it be in this realm or another, how might they get in front of those people or get those opportunities? 
when I first started out, I was really intentional knowing that I was going to have to um, get some of those credibility factors early on in my career. I started to notice that a lot of other speakers, consultant types, um, when I started my company, The Millennial Solution, they were um, waiting for opportunities to come. And I recognized I was going to have to be a bit more aggressive as a young female with no business experience, no business relationships, nothing. And so I really spent time investing in other people and learning from other people and not in an intentional mentorship way. In fact, I was desperate for mentorship. I really sought it out. But unfortunately, most of the people that I wanted to mentor me were in a stage of their life where their businesses were growing or they had young families. They were just not in a position that they could really invest in me. And so I had to readjust my expectations about what mentorship looked like. I thought it meant meeting every Tuesday and over coffee and talking about how my business was doing. But sometimes it meant talking once a year or sending an email back and forth once a month or sending a text just to get insight on something. So the first thing I did was I surrounded myself with people who were smarter than myself. The second thing that I did was I added value to people. So I recognized that I really didn't have a lot to give. I was early in my career, young entrepreneur, didn't have any connections. When people would say, you know, let me know if there's anything I can do for you, I took them up on it. I didn't just let that be a platitude someone says at the end of a LinkedIn message. I said, great, and I would have a specific ask for people. Even if they couldn't really help me, it was a great way to build relationships with folks. And so I went to every networking event, made relationships with the Chambers of Commerce, even though I was too poor to join. <laughs> and I did everything that I could to get myself in the room with people who knew me as, at that point, the millennial girl. So I niched myself really specific. I showed up. I made sure that people associated myself. And this is before people even were talking about personal branding and all of that. I think I just intuitively knew that if I was going to escape obscurity, it was going to take me being a part of a community that I was known as the one who was giving, offering free webinars, coming in and doing training for folks, developing relationships and asking for referrals. Because if not, then I was just going to kind of fall by the side and just another person who's speaking on millennials. Got it. Got it. And so where do you see companies excuse me, changing in the future to address their approach to millennials? Because one thing I notice, I mean, millennials might embrace it, they might not like it, but something you'll find from a lot of older generations is they'll just say enough already. You know, how many trainings and things do we have to do catered to millennials? Um, do you think companies will just add more to that kind of dynamic? Or do you think they might dial back and say, okay, they're here already and you know, maybe take a step back from the whole millennial uh, phenomenon. Yeah, well, now that next generation is Generation Z, which is born after 1996, who are now, you know, coming on the scene. And I think a lot of people have big question marks around them, um, which is someone who's been defending the millennial generation for over a decade. I'm ecstatic that we've got another generation to analyze. Uh, but I think that the, the shift has really come from people recognizing that this next generation is different. It isn't just because they're younger. It's because they're raised with different expectations, a different mindset around what the role of work is, um, just a different approach to the, um, the role of work in their life, requiring more flexibility, work from home, things like that. 
I think the shift has gone from like, okay, great. How do we deal with them to now recognizing millennials are in their thirties now. And we're not only the bosses, but we're the managers, we're the executives, we're the leaders. And so I think that that shift has moved from how do I manage them to how can I be managed by them or going from how do I recruit them and appease them to how can I partner and grow with them? So the shift has really gone from, you know, this little kid, I call it the kiddie table approach to reaching out to the younger generation. Now we're recognizing that this new generation is here to stay. We have an incredible amount of energy and, and compassion and perspective to offer organizations. And the smart companies are starting to partner with their young generation versus waiting for them to kind of age out and start to act like some of the older generations did at their same age. Interesting. And I mean, as you study generations, has this always been a topic of study or is it kind of a, a relatively new thing? Because there, there's just so much out there. I, would, I wouldn't hesitate to say that millennials are probably the most examined generation uh, in history while we're actually still making history and, and still just entering the workforce. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, just the study of sociology is a very, very young social science. So, you know, that's really only been around for the last 20, 25 years or so. The study of generations really started to kind of crop up in the, in the 80s by um, Strauss and Howe, who are kind of like the godfathers of, of generational theory. And so they wrote a really great book called Generations. That was kind of my, um, my starter piece when it came to understanding how generations ebb and flow and the different generational archetypes. And, and it really helped, I think, uncover the scientific approach to how do you look at a generation versus just saying they're different, what's wrong with them, recognizing that each generation is informed by the generation that raised them. So that's what I, I think is going to be extremely interesting as we start to examine the next generation, that Gen Z and beyond, of how they're being influenced by this current pandemic and certainly many of the other um, events going, around, going on around the world. Um, they're going to be heavily influenced by it. And so that, I think, is going to be an extremely interesting topic of study over the next decade. Interesting. And so as we go over all these different ideas to kind of improve your situation, even you personally, what's maybe some of the best advice that you've gotten or anything that changed your trajectory as far as what you were doing with your career? Yeah, I, I think some of the, the best advice that I've ever received is to add value to other people without expecting anything in return. I think it's such a powerful principle, especially in a world of entrepreneurship and business where there's an expectation of a quid pro quo. Where, you know, oh, okay, sure, I'll, you know, pass, you know, I'll, I'll repost your, your, you know, post, but this is what you have to do for me. But the, the power of relationships really comes from a place of authenticity. And so recognizing at a really early age, um, I kind of understood that. I kind of, I had it modeled for me by, um, by my mom, who was just a really um, compassionate businesswoman who really sought to empower her employees in the community and was extremely involved. And so I had a really great role model in that sense to recognize that, um, that if you go into any relationship expecting an immediate return on investment, you shouldn't be in that relationship. And so when you recognize that, especially in the world of politics, where I kind of cut my teeth in my career, is that it, everything came back around. 
It was something that you saw all the time and people would kind of joke about that the intern that you had could be your boss one day. So you have to be careful just because of the cyclical nature of, of the workforce. Yeah. It's like what they say, you can't burn any bridges on the way up because you never know when you need them on the way down. Exactly. Yeah. All right, cool. So that, that was uh, definitely some interesting insight here. And is there anything else that, that you wanted to share with all of our listeners today that you think is either a new piece of research or new tip or piece of advice that uh, could really help millennials or anyone for that matter, especially considering how we're, you know, amidst this pandemic and hopefully on the way out on the rebound uh, and what will be a new normal? Sure. I think one of the biggest kind of perspective givers right now is to look at kind of the duality of of choice you have. You can either consume or you can create. During a season where things are shut down, business is moving slower, you have less things distracting you, you have a choice to either consume more media or calories or distractions and kind of numb some of the discomfort that happens when we have white space in our life. Or you can choose to create. You can look back and really focus on finding your purpose, understanding who you are and what you're supposed to do. Start to focus in on the projects that are aligned with your purpose, not just busy work. Because I think some people may say, oh, great, this is my time to write my novel or pick up my art again. Maybe. But this could be the most fundamentally transformational season that you're ever in. And it's been given to you. So again, back to that gift of how are you going to be using this time? When you emerge, do you want to be stronger mentally, physically, spiritually? Or do you want to you know, emerge just hanging on by a string, waiting for things to return to normal? So I think that that mindset shift is one that's extremely powerful. And I think that those who decide that they're going to create during the season are going to emerge, not only the companies who choose to create, but the individuals, the leaders, the influencers, they're going to emerge as the success stories that we're going to be talking about and writing about for decades to come. I think, I think that is the silver lining right there. And I love that idea of being a creator, not just a consumer. Uh, it's very well said. And so what I hope we could do, you know, just with the, the last few moments that we have here is often with our guests, we'll have a quick lightning round where we get to know you a little bit better uh, see what makes you tick and, and what got you kind of where you are today. So if I could, I'll just fire off some questions and then you could share with us, you know, whatever comes first to mind. So that sound good? Great. Let's do it. All right. Awesome. So first off, obviously you're an author, but what would you say is your favorite book that you ever read? Uh, my most gifted book is The One Thing by Gary Keller. Incredible book. Helps you focus. I'm a huge fan. The One Thing. Is that... Keller, like Keller Real Estate, or is that a totally different? Yep, same guy, Gary Gary Keller, founder of Keller Williams. Okay, awesome. I'll have to check that out. And your favorite movie? Oh my goodness, I don't know. <laughs> uh, That's a tough one. No, well, it's kind of pathetic because I don't really watch a lot of movies. Um, what movie have I watched the most? Um, I'm a huge Marvel fan, so pretty much like anything in the Marvel universe. So like Iron Man, probably. Gotcha. And a favorite food? Uh, Anything that has to do with chips and guacamole. (laughs) Awesome. I like it. And uh, I don't know if you travel too much. I know that you go all over the country for speaking engagements, but what would you say has been your favorite destination, either for work or pleasure? 
Oh, great question. Um, I think one of the funnest was when we were in Costa Rica. Really? Really beautiful country. So we, um, we spent half the time with friends and then the other half, um, my husband, Brian and I just kind of worked from there and, you know, stalked howler monkeys and surfed and it was just such an incredible experience. That's awesome. Yeah. We did our uh, honeymoon in Hawaii and a lot of people there said that the next closest thing was Costa Rica. Oh yeah. Yeah. I lived in Hawaii for a bit, so it's, it's, it's pretty close. Really? That's great. And what would you say so far, and, and I know you still have a lot to accomplish, but what's been your greatest success to date? Oh my goodness. Um, I didn't say it would be easy. <laughs> no, I know. Well, it's so funny. You're lightning in rounds. I'm taking so long. I'm so sorry. I'm not good <laughs> at lightning rounds. I think too hard. Um, I don't know, probably my marriage. Um, I, I was really intentional about, uh, Brian was the first person that I ever introduced to my parents. who's like the longest relationship I was ever in before we got married. Um, and, and I think having a, a life partner who was also my business partner has been um, such an incredible blessing. Really? Because I've heard uh, mixed stories that some say it's great <laughs> and others have just gone to war. <laughs> I did not say it was easy, but it's, uh, it's, ex- it's extremely fun, though. Good. Good for you guys. That's awesome. And then the next up that we have here, uh, bear with me now. I'm the one slowing down the lightning round. I just lost my train of thought there. I apologize. And so I guess we could just go with the inverse. And again, I know it's still early on, but what's been maybe the, the biggest failure or mistake that you have had uh, thus far in your career? something maybe you could change if you could go back in time? Yeah. I mean, so many things, I think, um, if it's anything and there are things, unfortunately I think about all the time. Um, still I'm not one of those, like, I'm thankful for every failure. I'm like, no, I'd change it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, I think that there are a couple of different instances where I didn't follow up. Like there were introductions to big VIPs that I should have followed up with or taken more seriously. Um, where I was just in the heat of busyness and I let um, kind of my to-do list distract me from the most important thing. So there are probably four or five instances that I can look back and say, I did not take that relationship seriously. I didn't invest in it. I didn't take the time and I kind of waited for them to come to me rather than take the initiative. So it's all been relationship-based. Gotcha. So it sounds like maybe not mistakes that you made, but mistakes that something never happened because you didn't get to follow up on it. Well, I mean, it was, you know, I didn't follow up like I would, like I was, if I was late for an appointment or I didn't respond mm-hmm. to their email or things like that. So it was really gotcha. um, absent mindedness, I think, and gotcha, a lack gotcha. of follow through. Okay. And then of course, this is a bit of a finance show. So if you could share with us maybe the best investment that you've made to date, um, whether it was a pick a, of a stock or a, a property or education or, you know, what's been the best investment of your dollars that you could think of so far? Yeah, for, for me and for um, our family seeing in our company, I mean, knowing what, um, knowing what to invest in and sometimes that means investing in yourself. And so I think really focusing on what you, what you're, what you have knowledge about, number one, but also to um, knowing that you can um, investing in yourself and having that kind of confidence in yourself. And so I think a lot of young entrepreneurs um, oftentimes will jump and look for investors really early on because they kind of want that outside validation. 
that they've got a good idea or, you know, they're on the right track. And I bootstrapped all of my businesses and it's been, um, a really incredible decision. And, uh, it's intentional now at the beginning, it was just cause I was poor. Um, but it's, it's really taught me a lot about, um, how to invest properly, whether it's knowing my ROI on, on my Facebook ads or, um, being able to track how much time I'm spending on the phone with a client or organic, uh, putting a dollar to every conversation and every connection I make. Um, it's really caused me to hone in on um, being extremely effective with my time. Yeah, I think time's our greatest asset. So I think that's uh, well said. And so lastly, where can people find you? Do you have, I know you mentioned a new book coming out. If you could just uh, maybe even plug that for a moment and let all our listeners know how they can get more of your information. Absolutely. So you can check out the purpose factor, extreme clarity for why you're here and what to do about it by going to purposefactorbook.com. And so you'll get to learn more about the book, be able to check out our purpose factor journal, see some of the really cool endorsements we have for people like The Rock and, and Gary Keller, like I just mentioned his name. Um, we've got Brian Tracy and Marie Forleo and Lewis Howes and just some really, really incredible folks who have supported wow. this book. So it you can go ahead and pre-order it now. It comes out in September and we are so excited to get this book in the hands of executives, students, parents, leaders of all, you know, shapes and sizes to really help you get clarity about your purpose and how to use it. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And when you mentioned the rock, I mean, who's not a fan of the rock? How did, how did you end up getting the book in his hands? Back to relationships. Um, everything kind of rises and falls on relationships and investing. That was probably a five-year process of, of having that, um, being intentional, knowing, you know, what types of requests to make and adding value. And, and uh, it's been, it's definitely paid off a hundredfold. Yeah, that, that's terrific. Well, Gabrielle, thank you again for coming on the show. It's, uh, it's definitely been it lifting to to hear some of your thoughts on how we can all do a little bit better and also you know help others out so i really appreciate it thanks for having me yeah definitely all right everyone thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna podcast again i'm your host brian Kaderna, signing off today and we look forward to seeing you next week please leave us a review let us know what you thought about today's interview and go tell your friends about our show so that we can keep spreading the message of achieving wealth, again, in its original meaning, a state of well-being. Thanks, and have a great day. The Kaderna Podcast is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not provide tax, legal, social security, student loan, mortgage, or real estate advice. Listeners should contact their own tax, accounting, or legal advisors, or the social security department in this matter. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Pass. 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Securities, product services, and advisory services are offered through Pass, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Nine 
973-244-4420. Financial representative, The Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Pass is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Caderna Financial Team and International Planning Alliance, LLC, are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Pass or Guardian. Caderna Financial Team is a division of International Planning Alliance, LLC, a general agency of Guardian. Pass is a member of FINRA, SIPC. California Insurance License Number, OK04194. Content of the Caderna Podcast is copyright of Brian M. Caderna, all rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the content in any form is prohibited without prior permission from the Caderna Podcast. The views and opinions expressed herein may not be those of Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. Guardian does not verify and does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of, of the information or opinions presented herein. Any third-party materials referenced cannot be endorsed or verified by Guardian and are used as the opinion of the author. Guardian, its subsidiaries, or affiliates do not provide or issue or advise for mortgages. This material contains the current opinions of the author, but not necessarily those of Guardian or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice.